0: open our Bibles this morning. We are going to go to the book of Romans, eventually, the book of Romans chapter 8. One thing I can say for sure about these days are that they are uncertain. Uh, They are just so uncertain. We never know what's going to happen next. 2020, uh, I'm sure, is going to go down in the history books as... One of those years, kind of like 1968, you know, in America, some of those other years just like iconic years, 2020, man, tell you, just uh, what a year of so many things. The political landscape is raging. The social climate is toxic. The financial world is precarious. Fear over disease and death is ever-present. You know, uh, as a pastor, uh, my highest concern, uh, really my life's uh, mission, uh, personal mission even, is just to get people connected to God. I want people connected to our wonderful Savior and to get into the book. And so that uh, means uh, going to church is a key part of that. So I've been asking people all over, and actually, most of the folks I've been asking are not believers. I'm just trying to get a sampling of where people are at, where uh, where their minds are at. You know, would you consider going to church? What would be your uh, What would be your answer if I were to say, you know, I'm a pastor. I would love to have you come to church. What would it take for you to come to church? And what uh, what are you feeling about these days? And so uh, there's a uh, been uh, three uh, things that I have pretty much common. Just about everybody says one of these three things, if not all of these. And uh, the first thing that most people say is confused. It's absolutely confused. Uh, the information on both sides of everything is just, they don't know what to believe. And so uh, that kind of paralyzes most people. And best thought is that, well, I'll just not do a whole lot. I just. Uh, since it's so confusing, another feeling that's very common is a feeling of caution. Just cautious, despite the very clear facts that in San Joaquin County, for example, in six months, only been fifty deaths. Now, uh, any even one person dying of anything, of course, is always tragic. But uh, honestly, the fifty deaths at almost a million people in six months—that just, uh, frankly, not much more than the flu. I mean, honestly, so. Even though the facts are pretty clear on the matter, uh, people are very cautious, and um, some are very worried, and others, frankly, are almost uh, to a point of paranoia. <laughs> That's kind of the sense. The, the first sense I'm getting is that people are confused. Second sense is that there's just a, a caution, uh, sometimes even more than that. And then uh, another third uh, very common strain that I'm hearing is just an over overwhelming weariness, uh, irritation even on the uh, never-ending list of restrictions. uh, Many people just want their life back. I mean, you know, it's affecting their family. It's affecting their relationships and mental health, affecting their finances, their jobs. I mean, it's just... uh, And so those three things are just uh, uh, weighing on people's minds. Add to that the social culture that's going on, add to that all the crazy things you read about all the time. And uh, it's just, you, you put all that together and uh, these are uncertain times. And then uh, for me personally, you say, Pastor, where, where's your head in all this? Well, uh, to me, uh, this whole uh, thing that we're in right now as a country and as a people, uh, honestly, it gets down to the very core of my existence, <laughs> the very core of who I am. Because it, in most cases, encroaches upon our free expression of God. I mean, and especially these uh, unprecedented government guidelines. I mean, it'd be different if, you know, uh, it was the Black Death and people were dropping dead every uh, second around us, you know? But I mean, it's just uh, the government guidelines, the so-called guidelines, you know, that have been given to us uh, to as a church and as a people. The fact is... Uh, That goes down to the very core of my relationship with God, which is the most precious part of my life. As a result of that, um, this thing gets down inside of me. It'd be different if you know I could ignore it, but uh, it's getting down. As a shepherd, I just and we unfortunately we've sure seen the the wolves have just uh, snatched away some of the little lambs out there, and we've checked in on them only to see the devil is just uh, eating them alive. And I'm telling you what, folks, uh, and there's going to be some. uh, Someone's gonna to have to pay before the judgment seat, I'll tell you someday, for all this craziness. But in the light of all that, and yet, and here's the strange thing in light of all that I've said, I find the tension strangely invigorating. I do, I just, I like it. I like the tension. It just uh, you wake up in the morning with a, you know with a battle mindset. You know I'm I've definitely not been lulled into any kind of you know apathy. I would tell you for sure. I mean if you were to come up here and touch me right now, you'd burn your finger right off. And uh, I mean there's just that uh, that there's that there's that excitement. I was talking with a, a guy across the country on the phone at just some company and and uh, he you knew I was a pastor and he said what do you think about these days? I said man they're exciting. He said, boy, he said, I'm so glad you said that. He said, I just was thinking the same thing. I'm a believer. And he said, I just thinking, Jesus is about ready to come. And I said, Amen. And uh, so the fact is, uh, these are uh, exciting days, and the tension is invigorating. And uh, the, the good news is that through all of this, there's one bottom line. A baseline, a default that we go back to as believers, and that is, I just trust God. I mean, folks, you cannot eliminate risks. In fact, the greatest risk is to not risk, and so um, we can't eliminate all risks. And I mean, I'm not for being imprudent, and uh, you know, I'm all for doing anything we can. But the fact is, folks, there's there's at some point where we're going to have to trust God, whether no matter what we do getting in a car, uh, whatever we got to do, folks. I mean, there's just a sense that we're going to have to just simply trust God. And uh, that's uh, what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks here. But how do I trust God? Why should I trust God? Well, there are three great theological doctrinal reasons why over the years, and whether I'm preaching at a funeral, whether I'm counseling somebody, or whether we're just chatting There are three underlying great attributes, great theological truths about God, and that is uh, God's love. I can trust Him because of His love, I can trust Him because of His justice, and I can trust Him because of His sovereignty. You know, many uh, pastors, many people today, in in fact, even some pastors say, we we don't want to get too heavy into doctrine because... uh, it might drive people away, but I will tell you that the fact is, it is only as we delve deeply into God's Word; these truths are reassuring. They just give us a sense that uh, we're going to make it. And if you were to ask me, are you worried? Absolutely not. Not even one bit. No, no more worrying I was a year ago. I mean, I get worried about certain things. You know, I mean, we all get worried about our kids or, you know, about our health, but. No more worry today. In fact, of anything, this emphasis has made me just drive myself to the fact that I can trust God because of His great love. And um, I will say this, and I, I just think we all need to get this in our brain right now, and that is, you're going to need to get a long haul mentality on this whole thing in a country right now. Because if you imagine that next week, you know, some uh, miracle pill is going to come along or whatever else, and we're all folks, it's just not going to happen that way. I just We just need to kind of calm down, get a long haul mentality, and uh, it's like we're going to take a city. And if you're going to take a strong walled city, you know, you can run up there like a crazy person, you know, with your little bow and arrow and get, you know, blown away, or we can just take a long haul and we'll get it, we'll win it, but uh, we're going to have to be patient and just uh, understand that. There's going to be some things coming down the line that we're not going to understand, but the fact is we're going to have to trust God. And I don't, There is no way I know what's going to happen next week. In fact, I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. and I never did before, but now you never know what's going to happen next. I mean, almost every day there's some kind of a new thing. And they're saying that many pastors in America are Suffering suffering from decision fatigue, <laughs> and that's putting it mildly. I mean, good night. One policy you make one day, the next day, okay, scrap that one. And uh, it's just berserk out there. But I will tell you this: even though we can't eliminate risks, we can always trust God. We can always trust God. And uh, thank God that we can trust God. Well, you know, our kids can teach us a lot, can't they? Um, think of these children. They Asked these little kids some questions. Here's uh, some of the things they said, that Michael, 14, uh, said this, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. <laughs> Michael, that wise man, also said, never tell your mom her diet is not working. <laughs> Here is uh, Randy, nine years of age, stay away from prunes. <laughs> uh, he uh, found that early. Uh, uh, Koyo, nine years old, said, never hold a dustbuster and a cat at the same time. And, uh, oh, out of the mouth of babes, amen. Naomi said, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. <laughs> and uh, Lauren, nine, said, film markers are not good to use as lipstick. <laughs> Joel, who was 10, said, don't pick on your sister when she has is holding a baseball bat. And then Eileen, age eight, said, never try to baptize a cat. And then... The reason I even thought of these, it was cute, uh, speaking to trust. Here's Patrick, 10 years old. Never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> Amen? Amen? All right. Well, we may not be able to watch, trust a dog to watch our food, but we can trust God. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We trust you. And Lord, uh, like I said, just strangely invigorated, Lord, by the tension And uh, I thank you, Lord, that you have been there for all these years, and you will be. Thank you for these precious saints of God, Lord, what great people they are. Thank you for these that are at home even right now and later by tape. God bless each of them, Lord. I pray you just give them their peace and your strength. Lord, be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's settle in now. We're going to have a wonderful time for the next few moments. Over 130 times in Scripture, God says, Trust me, trust me. (laughs) When my dad used to tell me, "Son, trust me. We're going to the doctor. They're not going to put a a shot in you." And I hated shots. And uh, then when I was driving home from the doctor after they had given me a shot, he'd laugh and he'd say, "Well, I guess I was wrong." (laughs) But whenever my dad said, "Trust me," I knew after that you don't trust him because he's he's got something up his sleeve. But you can trust God. Psalm. 9 and verse 10, David said, the more I know about God, the more I trust him. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. In Psalm 28 and verse 7, King David said, when I trust God, I am always helped. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. I may be actually helped, but certainly my heart is always helped. And then that great declaration, perhaps the greatest declaration of trust in all of uh, Scripture, certainly in all of Christian literature with Job in chapter 13 and verse 15. He said, though he slay me, I will trust him. You can count on me to do my duty. God, I don't care what happens. I trust you. David in Psalm 37 and verse 5 said, whenever I put everything on God, he always takes care of me. Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. And then don't you love that great passage in the book of Isaiah? I love it because there's so much, especially in the original language. Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. One of the few places in all of Scripture where God repeats a word. He says, Thou wilt keep him in shalom, shalom, is the original Hebrew, whose mind is stayed or fixated God said, if you just, to the point of a fixation on God, God will give you double peace. Shalom, shalom. Thou will keep him in perfect peace because you trusted in thee. And Then in Psalm 118, verse 8, David said, some people are putting their trust in a king. Some people are putting their trust in a government. Some people are putting their trust in a vaccine, but it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your trust in man." The book of Proverbs is an amazing book. I love it. If you want to learn how to do anything God's way, from marriage to family to finances, the book of Proverbs is great because they're short little statements. And for most of us, short is good. Amen. I mean, long theological truths, kind of hard to wrap our heads around, but a short little statement, I can get that. The book of Proverbs is that way. an amazing book. Let's go to the book of Proverbs chapter three, verse five, one of the greatest passages on trust. I love it. Just... Just about uh, so often, just about the most likely verse that I'll sign on a card or uh, to our seniors when we give them their Bibles. Psalm or excuse me, uh, Proverbs chapter three, verse five, "Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, Lean not unto thine own understanding." Now the book of Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six are going to be our theme. We're going to come back to that for the next, uh, two weeks after this a time and time again, but I want you to notice three things quickly about this verse. First of all, I want you to notice a trusting confidence. You'd say, well, how can I trust the future? Because we're not trusting in a circumstance, we're not trusting in a man. It says, trust in what? The Lord. Say that with me. Trust in what? The Lord. Trust in the Lord, not a plan, not a program, not a philosophy, but the person. Of Jesus Christ, I can trust Jesus. I trust Him. I am confident today about the future, not because of any uh, idea or any uh, philosophy, but because of Jesus Christ. He has always been there for me for six decades plus. He has always come through a trusting confidence. I can trust Him, trust in the Lord. People say, do you trust in your church? Well, I trust in God. Do you trust in this? I trust in God. I can trust God. A trusting confidence. Number two, a total commitment. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. With all our heart, a total commitment made to God. Lord, I'm committed to your cause. I'm committed to who you are. The future is good for someone who's made a total commitment. But I I remember a man telling me once before I was commending him on... I was just really excited about his uh, marriage and about his family. And I said, boy, I'm very uh, excited for you. I'm I'm proud of you for how you're just uh, trying to live a biblical life. And he said, pastor, he said, I tried to just kind of be half in and half out for God. He said, it was dangerous. He said, the only way to... Have a secure future, I've discovered, is just to put all, go all in, lean in. The great uh, statement that the preacher once said is that every Christian needs to kneel and say, anywhere, anytime, any cost. I'll say that again. That's something to write in your Bible. That's something to say. That's my theme. Anywhere, anytime, any cost. And when we throw everything on God, when I trust in the Lord with all my heart, not half my heart, not three quarters of my heart, all of my heart, I've never had anybody come up to me and said, Pastor, I'm 90% behind you. (laughs) You know, I'm 50% behind you. And uh, no, we want to get 100% behind God, trusting, confidence, a total commitment. And number three, thank God, a tremendous conclusion. Verse 6, and he shall direct thy paths. How, How can I know what the future holds? I commit myself to a person. I commit myself completely confident in that person, knowing that he will direct my paths. And so we're wondering, okay, what does the future hold for my marriage? Well, if I'm Anytime, anywhere, any cost for God if I 'm all out for God, then I can't tell you all I can tell you is God'll be there. but I married my beautiful wife uh, ten years ago and she took a big chance uh, on marrying me that's for sure, and uh, I was pretty uh, I was sure she would be a good thing, but uh, I mean she had to she had to take on me and on uh, this whole thing you know but All I could tell her was, "Honey, you just got to trust God. (laughs) Trust God," and uh, she did. She trusted God, and and over the years we have learned to trust God together. And that's what I tell you: just let's just trust God. Well, just trust God. (laughs) That's what I gotta say: is let's just trust God. How can I trust God? Well, look what that verse says: He shall direct thy path. Good night. We have a personal. Guarantee of a personal guide. Have you ever gone on a little trip and maybe gone on a tour and get on one of those big buses, you know, and sit on a bus and they tell you, you know, this is the place where, you know, George Washington, you know, signed this and, and you're there and you're, there's maybe 200 people or 100 people and, and you pay your $30 each. You're like, good night, this is so expensive. And you last, you know, but it's fun. Imagine having a personal guide drive you around. I mean, you're talking some serious bucks though. And Here's what God said. He said, if you want to guide through life, I tell you, you can have me as your personal guide. I will direct your paths. I personally will direct your paths. I will show you each step. People say, "What? Well, I don't know what to do. Well, that's the great thing about committing everything to God. I trust God. I've committed everything to him, and so I, can, I know he's going to lead me. Well, I'm unsure. Well, there's a time of un- that takes a little while to kind of figure things out, but one thing I know is he's going to be there for me. That's a good word, isn't it? I know he is there for me. Whatever it's going to happen, he's going to be there. Now, there are three things that if we're going to trust God, we have to be settled on. Number one, that God loves me. Number two, that God is a just God. He never makes mistakes. And number three, he's sovereign. He's wise. He's got it all figured out. On those three things hinge, in my opinion, the trust that we have in God. If we know that he loves us, if we know that he's just, he never makes mistakes. And if we know that he's sovereign, very wise, he's so smart, always does the the smart thing. Then I can trust God, and so let's talk today. First of all, about the love of God, and if we were going to go to any passage in Scripture that would discuss the love of God, there would no passage be any greater than Romans chapter eight. Now, the book of Romans is a great book. I mean, the book of Romans is like looking up there at the beautiful Sierra Nevadas, and I remember one time hearing about the beautiful uh, Smoky Mountains or the Blue Ridge Mountains, and With all due respect to our southern friends, I went back there and looked at those. I was like, those aren't mountains. (laughs) I don't know what they are, but those aren't mountains. Mountains are big old giant peaks like up there at Lake Tahoe. Those are mountains. Those are real mountains. And uh, boy, those are beautiful mountains. Well, if the Bible is a mountain range, the book of Romans is the beautiful Sierra Nevadas or the Rockies and Romans 8 is Mount Whitney. I mean to tell you, it is the peak. And so Romans chapter 8, verse number 39 talks and tells us that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. And there is no Bible theme any more often repeated from Genesis to Revelation than this, the indescribable fact of God's love. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, for example, God said to his people Israel, I have loved thee, with an everlasting love. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I sure love that great hymn we sang last week, The Love of God, one of the greatest pieces of Christian literature. Could we with ink the ocean fill? I mean, we in uh, every uh, pen on, uh, uh, on earth or whatever it is, <laughs> and every person ascribed by trade, I mean, the fact is you, you, could, you could just write forever and you could never outright about the love of God. I mean, it's just amazing of his great love. We stand today in such uncertainty, and yet one thing we do know is that God loves us. Nothing can separate us about the from the love of God because it's Calvary's love. It's Calvary's love. We are redeemed forever. Now as we come to Romans chapter 8, you will notice that Paul asks question after question. An interesting way of teaching, really, asking questions. In the uh, technical world, it's called inductive. It means uh, you're asking the listener to engage. You're asking them to uh, do some thinking. Our daughter, Abby, just graduated from... uh, uh, from the uh, nursing school, got, and by the way, got her license. We're very proud of her. But one of the things she had to do a lot of was what they called critical thinking, because when you're there in the hospital and that uh, nurse walks in, she's got to, because there's dynamics that happen all of a sudden, and they got to be able to say, okay, you know, <laughs> this, this, and that. And uh, they need to do some critical thinking. So the Apostle Paul is saying, let's do some critical thinking. And so he's going to ask a, all bunch of questions. And so it's an interesting passage to go over because it's a question after question. Bible scholars have indicated that in scriptures there's at least 3,000 questions asked. Jesus himself asked uh, 300 of them. But let's look at some of these questions. First of all, why can I trust God's love in uncertain times? Because number one, God's love protects us. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. Let's say it together, if you would, please. Verse 31, what shall we say then to these things? If God be before us, who can be against us? Two powerful questions. What can we say? Well, uh, let me answer that question by saying two things. First of all, what can we say to this? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Paul said, basically, I'm speechless. <laughs> I can't even fathom the love of god have you ever received something that was just so out of the blue so wonderful so undeserved i mean you just like i really don't even know how to i just don't have i have no words to express how grateful i am i just words fail me that's what paul was simply saying and so his the answer to the question what can we say first of all nothing second of all everything <laughs> I should never stop thanking God. Paul said, what should we say? Well, first of all, nothing, because, I mean, what is there to say? Second of all, everything, everything, because what has God done for us? Some have suggested this week that we uh, maybe shouldn't sing. I thought myself, how is that possible? I mean, how is it possible to stop saying things about God? I can't, I mean, that'd be like saying, no more breathing, (laughs) it's not going to happen, I'm sorry, I cannot stop singing the praises of my God, I mean, it just can't happen, I'm sorry, you you, you can drag me off to jail if you want to, but I promise you, I'll be singing like this all the way to jail, because what can I say, thank God, He's done so much for me, nobody's trying to hurt anybody, but the fact is, how can we stop? God's been so good because God's love protects us. I can say with David when he was surrounded by the Philistines, what time I am afraid, I will trust in him. Because God's love protects us, I will say, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Aren't you glad God does the night shift Man, I'll tell you one thing, God just takes care of everything. Uh, I've told you before, I, I always love waking up in the middle of the night and hearing the train off in the distance. We have a train track not too far away. And in the middle of the night, you know, I hear that like that. And then I don't think they whistle, but I hear the unmistakable sound of that train. And I think to myself, I'm, a, I'm alive. <laughs> if I can hear the train, I'm alive and they're busy. They're going somewhere. Everything's all right. The trains are going. Everything's good. If I woke up when there was no train sound, if everything was so quiet, I'd say, "Uh oh, what's going on? God's love protects us. God takes care of me at night. Because of God's love, I can say with Moses, the eternal God is my refuge, and underneath there is everlasting arms. God is my refuge. The word means retreat. God is my sanctuary many churches call their auditorium a sanctuary and i tell you one thing i never more a meaningful concept than right now a sanctuary from the world just to come in and fellowship and love god and and to worship god a sanctuary i love going to church i love going to sanctuaries when it's all when i'm all alone or maybe just with one other person and you go in there and it's quiet and some of these beautiful cathedrals and I know they may not always have the best doctrine but still they're beautiful and uh, they're just quiet and uh, I, just, I love uh, I love the sense of that quiet connection with God and we've had people before that just want to come in here and just to pray and When I go in that new auditorium, I mean, I just walk around there. It's so quiet and so beautiful. And uh, it's going to knock your socks off here in a few months. And you're going to be saying, I'm going to come down in the middle of the day all by myself. And I'm just going to kneel before God in the sanctuary. And that's what Moses said. He said, God is my sanctuary, He's my refuge. His love just wraps itself around me. Here's what we know if God allows something, even the ultimate. God promises to take care of me because He loves me. He protects me. His guarantee of protection doesn't mean He'll protect me from disease or from illness or from problems. His guarantee of protection is I'll be with you in the problems and in the virus Some people get that mixed up thinking that, well, I'm with God, and because I'm with God, I'll never get this. Folks, that's not what God's promising. God is promising that He'll be with you in it. And uh, even if it means death, people say, well, people die all the time that are Christians, I know, and Jesus was with them the whole way. He was with them the whole way. It's called divine hospice. God is always there. The Holy Spirit is there. He is with us, and that's Confidence that he loves me, he protects me. Why can I trust God's love in uncertain times? Because his love protects me. Second of all, the apostle suggests that his love provides for us. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, has shall he not with him also freely give us all things? (laughs) Now this is one of those divine gotcha questions. Gotcha One of those questions like, "Ah, got you coming and going, don't you? Here's the wisdom of this verse. Will the same God, whose love gave us the most in his son, will that same God do any less for us in the future as we go forward? If God would send his own son, to redeem us from the sins of our past, why would God not be there for the sins of our future? Absolutely absurd. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans 5 and verse 8 God commended his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, <laughs> while we were yet sinners, he died for us. How many would say amen to the fact that you? Are a sinner, you might be a saved sinner, but you would say, Yes, I am a sinner. Amen to that. And in some of your cases, I would say, you probably ought to put both hands up. And in my case, I'll say that. Amen. I am a sinner. Jesus loved me when I was a sinner. He loved me when I was a sinner. He loved me. And he provided judicially for me. Look at the next verse, verse nine. Much more than now, if he loved me while I was a sinner, then now when I've been justified as if I've never even sinned, when I have been justified by his blood, won't I be saved from wrath to come? People sometimes get the idea that, oh, well. God, you know, say, God loved you, but what about your future sins, folks? He loved me while I was a sinner in my past, and now that I have been justified, I'll guarantee he's got it all covered. I have been declared judicially righteous. Not only is there nothing against me, but he imputed the very righteousness of God onto my account. That's why I am justified in my future. God's love protects us. God's love provides for us. Number three, how do I know that God's love is there for me? How can I trust God? Because His love purifies us. More questions. Who shall allay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. If the Supreme Court hands down a legal decision, if the universal Supreme Court hands out a decision that has declared that I am innocent, It can never be overturned by a lower court. That's the concept in America and in England and a few other countries that have a good rule of law. No lower court can ever overturn a Supreme Court. That's why they call it the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Court. He is saying He Himself, He adjudicated my situation declared that I am righteous and therefore I, it can, nobody can ever lay anything to my account. Now that doesn't keep old smutty face from trying. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, the devil accuses God's people day and night. Have you ever felt guilty? Just felt a sense of guilt? The devil is accusing you to God. He did that. He did that. Did you see his attitude? Did you do, see that? He should go to hell. He should go to hell. He, he deserves hell. That's when I say what the book of Proverbs says Agree with thine adversary quickly. <laughs> Agree with them. You better believe I deserve hell. It was, oh, Hey, I deserve hell, but thank God for his grace. Thank God that he justified me. He declared me righteous in his sight. It's the Supreme Court. It's already been taken care of. That's why when the old smutty face comes up there, the bailiff looks at it, throws it out. Bailiff looks at it, throws it out. Michael says, throw it out. You can't come here because you're a lower court. Sorry, buddy. Go on back to where you come from. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. But wait a second. Maybe Christ would condemn me. (laughs) Maybe God would condemn me. Maybe God might have second thoughts. Uh, No. Jesus paid too high a price for my redemption. He's not about to let me go now. He, It says here, he died he rose again and he spends 24 hours a day interceding with with the father on my behalf and in some cases that's a pretty big job amen 24 hours a day he is interceding with the father why would jesus after dying after taking on this crazy human body, why would he do all that? Why would he intercede for me only to say, yeah, going to let him go? Um, yeah, it was not worth it. <laughs> no way. The apostle Paul said, that's just ridiculous that God's love would ever walk away from me because he has protected me. He has provided for me. He purifies me. And then finally, because God's love preserves us. Because God's love preserves us, I can trust him. I trust his love. Do you trust the future? I do. Oh, won't it be great when we get a vaccine? Folks, whether we get one or whether we don't, we're just going to trust God. Won't it be great when we have this medicine? Well, yes, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm grateful for every procedure, amen, all that. That's wonderful. But the fact is, my trust is not in a doctor right now. My trust is in a loving God who preserves me. He is my preserver. Now the apostle Paul is going to lay out this incredible long list of worst case scenarios. We might call them what ifs. Well, what if this then happens? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Try to name one scenario, one person, one thing that might ever happen come in between me and God's love. Notice what it is. It is the love of Christ. It's not my love for Christ, although that's a good thing, but something could come between my love for Christ. I'm human, but nothing could come between God's love for me. He is divine. God's the love of Christ. Can anything come between the love of Christ? No. Shall tribulation? No. John 13, 1, it says, having loved his own. God's love never grows tired of you and me. Having loved his own, which are in the world, he loved them unto the end. That's a great explanation. People sometimes say, well, God might come to the point where he figures out who I am and he doesn't want me anymore. He just, man, you know, you're not worth it No, he, look what it says, having loved his own. Now if it had said, having loved the angels and all the perfect beings, it doesn't say that. It says, having loved his own, he loved his brothers, he loved his sisters, he loved his mom and his dad, he loved all those crazy people in Nazareth, he loved all those people in Bethlehem. He loved all those people in Jerusalem, all those crazy Israelites. He loved them. It says, having loved his own. Yes, they're my family. (laughs) There you go. That's my family. That is my family. He said he loved them, but he didn't just love them. It says he loved them to the very end. What more could have been said on the cross? That's it. Peter, that's it. I mean, I took care of you, I watched over you, I did everything for you, and what did you do? You couldn't even stand up for me with a little maid next to a fire, but oh no, on the cross, he looked down and said, Father, forgive them, they don't really even know what they're doing, oh God, he loved them too the end. and Then he enumerated these love. First of all, shall tribulation separate us from the love of God? The Greek word there means thrashing. It's the idea of taking an instrument, a wooden or a metal instrument, a flexible instrument, and beating. They had many ways of getting the little kernels from the the chaff. One of the ways they would beat it, he said, if you're being thrashed, God doesn't walk away. And if you're going to live for God, and if you're going to be a Bible believer, you'll be thrashed. You will be. And he never cuts and runs. You can count on Jesus. He'll be there. He's not one that's going to cowardly slink away. Ever heard of that phrase, cut and run? The idea actually comes back from the 1700s when ships would be in a harbor and then enemies would come, and rather than fighting, they would... Instead of taking the time to drop the anchor, they would just cut the anchor and they would sail off, often leaving their friends to take care of the enemy by themselves. Jesus won't cut and run. He's no coward. When my thrashing comes, God said, you can count on him. He'll be right there the whole way. Shall distress keep me from the love of God? The idea there really is of inner conflicts, when i become emotional when i become mental god loves us god loves the unbalanced cuz that's what most of us are we're very emotional creatures i will tell you all you have to do in my case is get a little bit hangry i get a little hangry and then i become a wackadoodle person i'll tell you for sure i overdramatize everything i was hungry last night when dinner time came and abby said time for dinner and so I started coming down the stairs. I'm trying to make it down, but I am so weak and emaciated from hours of no food, but I'll try to come down. And uh, by the time I got down, me complaining for all the way down the stairs, she just looks at me and rolls her eyes, like, okay, dad, I got it, I got it, you know. Boy, if that dinner's not ready at 5 o'clock, if it's 501, 502, I'm coming. I'm sorry, but I'm so weak. I can't get there. And uh, why? Because I'm emotional about that food. And, and God said, distress. The concept is mental. <laughs> when you get mental, God doesn't get rid of you. He says, Oh, good night. Another crazy human, but I love him. Jesus loves me. He said, distress. Paul said, Would, you, would God. Get rid of me when I'm persecuted. And I will tell you, folks, we live in an ever-increasing anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Bible country. It's crazy. And boy, I just kind of wonder what the future holds. But I'm telling you, God said, I will never leave you. I'll always be there for you. In our church, we have all kinds of programs to interact with people. One of the things we have is that we have a large email list. But one of the things we give people to do is a preference Uh, there at the bottom. They can opt out. In many cases, we don't have their address. We don't know anything about them. Uh, We just have their email address. And once they opt out, that's it. I mean, we lose track. We have no idea. Aren't you glad that God doesn't opt out of our email (laughs) or our email? Hallelujah. God will never opt out of taking care of me. He'll stay connected the whole time. God said, persecution won't make me opt out. Then he said, then Paul said, would famine and nakedness maybe keep God from loving you? (laughs) The idea there is of being totally broke. I mean, just busted, you know, just, we have no money, nothing that, you know, might make us uh, desirable to others. And, you know, unfortunately, when people get broke like that, uh, it's amazing how some people kind of, you know, just kind of walk away and say, yeah, I don't want to be around that person. Jesus loves poor people. And he must love poor people because he made so many of them. That's what it says here. Paul said he loves the poor. And then it says peril and sword. Would God ever uh, turn his back on us in the tough times? The word sword there actually is the word for an assassin's dagger. And there are several swords like in Ephesians chapter 6. It's more talking about a, a larger broad sword. But uh, here it's talking about assassin's sword. The idea is of someone secretly who takes a a knife and sticks it in the fifth rib. And uh, here it says, God would never assassinate you, He would never uh, uh, betray you. And I will tell you, if you've ever been betrayed by someone you love deeply, it is a terrible, terrible feeling. And what Paul is saying here is that God would never betray us, ever. You can count on God. There, there's never a coming a time when God would betray you or I, ever. And then now, look, look at these final verses, because this is one of those read my lips problem or moments, verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake, now he's going to justify all that he said from God's word, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Here the apostle quotes Psalms 44, by the way, another reason that the New Testament is inspired and another reason we know the Old Testament is inspired. They uh, quote each other. Here we find Paul quoting the Old Testament. He said, you know what? It's very common for sheep to be slaughtered. It is, the, it is what happens when you're part of God's fold. The shepherd, the chief shepherd, the fact is his sheep have been killed for years but he loves you, and he'll never leave you, and he'll always watch over you. Once you become one of God's sheep, you're marked. You know, the shepherds wouldn't usually brand their sheep like we see today, you know, them taking a hot iron and branding the back of a cattle. But they would take a sheep, they would take its ear, and they would cut it. And every shepherd had a little different mark, a little Unique mark, a mark of ownership, really. Some would be a little V, others would be a little different cut. And when another shepherd would see that sheep, he would know whose it was by the shape of that little mark, that little cut. The fact is, God said, I've marked you. You are part of, you're one of my sheep. And that just makes you a target for that evil one. And he just will come after you because he sees that mark. He said, Look, But God's always been there for his sheep. Verse 37. Nay. (laughs) No. That's some good preaching right there. No. Just, no. Stop it. Stop it right now. Nay. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. That word there is a tremendous word. The work is hyper Nike. You know, these uh, shoes, Nike shoes, and uh, they, it's just a Greek word. It simply means victory or conquering. And so here he says, the word is, we are hyper Nike. That's the actual Greek word. God said, you are a super victorious. It's as this God is saying, when you're on God's side, you don't just win, you win big. Amen. You win big. You go all the way. With God at my back, I'm telling you what, he just pushes me along. People are like, oh, I'm so worried about November, the election. Folks, look, we'll pray, we'll vote, but I'll tell you something. Whatever happens, God wins, and he wins big. He wins big. That's what he's saying here. It really doesn't make any difference what the future holds, because God will somehow make us be a super conqueror. You'd say, well, how could that happen? Look at the rest of that verse. Through Him, through Him that loved us, no circumstance can take away Christ's love for me. Oh, we lost the election; it didn't change God's love for me. The love of my Savior doesn't change it one bit. Oh, the all the, look. Tomorrow morning, when I wake up, it makes no difference what anybody says. Jesus loves me tomorrow just like he does today. He'll love me on Tuesday and on Wednesday. I wake up every day knowing that he loves me. He loves me. And because of that, I can conquer anything. I can stand anything knowing his love. And then, friend, this final summation, and nowhere in Scripture, this is almost too sacred to even read it. Look at verse 38 with me, please. For I am persuaded, absolute confidence, that neither death, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> People say, I don't want, what if I die of the virus? Can we just, can we just go ahead and clear the air? You're going to die. <laughs> Did you know that? How many knew you're going to die? Okay, so I mean, and it, by the way, a pretty good chance you're just not gonna go to sleep and wake up in the arms of Jesus. <laughs> it, probably not. It's probably gonna be some disease or some heart attack or something like that. That's just, folks. That's just the way it is. And so, I mean, we don't get to pick our death. It just says. But here's what I'm persuaded: neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, she'll be able to separate us from the love of God. Why? Because it's in Christ. Notice, first of all, it says, not death. Not death. Death doesn't bother me. It just hastens my exit from this old world. It just gets me closer to the Lord. You may have heard I Heard about it this week. I was so blessed. It's been such a strange thing for churches, you know, over these last few months. Many of them, of course, uh, had to go online, couldn't meet together. But um, on Easter Sunday, Pastor Duggins, buddy Duggins, Forest Home Baptist Church in Kilgore, Texas, 81 years old, was preaching his Easter message. <laughs> basically to an empty congregation, and they're preaching on Facebook. And so uh, he is uh, telling openly that he's been troubled and grieving. His wife had, of 59 years had passed away just a couple of months earlier, and he said often, he said, I would go to bed every night just weeping, and he said, I was wondering. He said, I was wondering, and I asked God, God, why would you do that? Why would you leave me here? I really don't want to be here without my wife. And he said, God told me, and I'll give you exactly. Here's the quote. And uh, it's, it's so precious. He said, God told me this, I have left you here to do nothing more than to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that you've been preaching for 55 years. And here's Pastor Duggan's final words. So I stand here today on this resurrection day to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. He has helped me. He has blessed me. And I praise His holy name today. He left church, left the building, went home. And then two hours later, he really went home. He passed away on Easter Sunday saying, I just resting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death, life, Jesus is there. Life with everything it can throw, at us. all the pain. It will not make Jesus love me any less. Angels can't make God love me any less. Now, we might not, not imagine that an angel would come between me and God, but the same word here is used for demons. And I will tell you, those demons constantly trying to uh, mess up things and say things to, you know, people not like you. And as you might imagine, I, I'm I'm so blessed and have so many favor come my way. But occasionally, you'll have somebody that you don't want to start saying some things, and it's always a tragic feeling when someone who you've loved for all these years, someone tell them something, and then over a period of weeks or months, maybe sometimes longer. All of a sudden, they just get something in their head, and then uh, they're gone, and they have all these bad feelings. You wonder, whatever happened? You never never hurt them. You never said anything to them. You never did anything to them. I mean, it's like, why? Why would you do that? Why would you listen to an angel? Why would you listen to a demon? Paul said, that'll never happen with God. No demon will ever come between you and God nor things present, nor things to come. (laughs) Nothing can separate you. You can't lose your salvation today, present. You can't lose your salvation tomorrow. These not heads, guys that have over the last couple of years gone on publicly and said, I'm no longer a Christian. Like, Joshua Harris, the very famous evangelical author and pastor, I'm no longer a Christian. Well, I got news for Joshua Harris. (laughs) If he was a Christian, he's still a Christian. It makes no difference. Someday, he's going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, I'm so sorry. Man, I messed up a whole lot of people. But it doesn't make any difference, because God loves him so much, no matter how much Nor things to come, nor powers. The word is "dunamis." In the insurance world, it's called an act of God. God said, "No supernatural, catastrophic event, demonic, angelic, whatever the case, nothing can separate us from God. Nor height, nor depth. The infinite of space. Height has no end. Depth has no end." God said. You could go to the farthest reaches of space. Go out there and you'll see one thing. Your name will be still written in the Lamb's book of life. You can't get so far away from God. (laughs) My dad used to tell me, he'd say, son, I will tell you right now, makes no difference where you go, what you do. I will always find you. And I will chase you down. It makes no difference. I love you, but I promise you, son, I will find you. <laughs> and I look at that old square headed Scotsman and those little thin lips, and I thought, you know what? I have this idea. He probably would. He'd probably drag me out of where I was and just uh, beat me for the fun of it. And uh, I don't know. Now, my mom, I could get over on her, but not dad. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I thank God for a dad that said, No matter how far you go, how deep it is, I'm there. And no matter where you go, the love of God. Nothing can alter the love of God. Boy, I'll tell you one thing I can sure trust a God like that, can't you? Can you trust a God who loves us that much? Can you trust a Savior? who's done that for you? I can. I'm not trusting some vaccine or some idea or some rule or some restriction or whatever, or something we wear, don't wear. I'll tell you one thing. I mean, it means nothing. God is where my trust is. And why do I trust him? Because he loves me. He loves me so much and he loves you. Our heads are bowed.